Friends, welcome to the Slaking Thirst podcast, where you'll find the homilies, talks, and reflections of Father Ryan Mann and Father Patrick Schultz of the Diocese of Cleveland. Slaking Thirst is all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, which is also a divine heart, seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts will meet and both thirsts will be slaked. Thanks for joining us on the journey into Christ's desire for us. All right, well, here we are for the second talk now. And um, when you speak, mind you, I haven't heard any of you give talks yet, so I don't know what really what Culture Project does in the classroom, but I'm sure it's wonderful. But uh, I think one of your talks is like the dignity of the person. Am I right? Is that, is that one of the things? That would have been rough if it wasn't. Uh, and obviously there's philosophical uh, categories we use. A person is unique, unrepeatable, chosen by eternal love, incommunicable. Um, you know, there's all these beautiful philosophical phrases. But uh, in, in the scriptures, they, they aren't doing so much philosophy in the scriptures as much as it's usually more narrative and poetic most of the time. And so uh, what is a Parker? Parker is... The one that God said, I want my son to suffer and die so I can be forever with Parker. Like, so there's something about Parker that God is just wild about and believes in. So like the scriptural definition of a person is, you are the person that the father sent the son to bleed for because he really wants to be with you forever. So there's a certain gravitas or dignity to each person. And that's, he sent to, if you're Muslim, Hindu, Jew, atheist, all 8 billion people in the world, whether you are murdering, raping, and pillaging, or you are praying and doing wonderful things, this is still the disposition of God towards a person. I want you forever. You are mine. And so, when we, the reason this can kind of feel absence to our hearts a lot of times, right, is, is because we can be far from Jesus still in so many parts of our lives. So the closer you get to Jesus, one of the performative powers of being in union with Christ is the sight is given to the blind. And one of the places you get to see clearly is, I am precious in the eyes of God. I matter. So one of the things that keeps that very difficult for us to really lean into isn't simply philosophical movements or the devil. Those are part of it for sure. But it's your story. One of the things the last two years I've really been studying a lot on is story work. And one of the basic premises is God is writing a story with your life. And it's an epic story and it's unique to you and it's the way in which God reveals something of his glory that no one else can reveal and we get to be a part of the story to the degree that we look back on all the chapters we've already lived and discover which chapters we want to run from which chapters we aren't listening to we like to be our own editor it's there, chapters 1, 5, and 7 great Chapters 2, 4, and 12, those aren't good. Those are bad chapters. And so when you have Jesus say, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, 
built into that is like, therefore we need to heal and transform what is keeping you from stepping in to life in the full. So whenever you hear about healing ministry, some of you may be like, yeah, good, I need healing. I'm so on board. Some of you are like, what's all this talk about healing ministry? I'm not out murdering people. Like, everyone are talking about healing. When we say healing, we mean anything that's keeping you from being the glory of God. From manifesting divine life. Anything that's hindering that is what we claim is, needs healing. So that's what we mean when we say healing work. And so there are wounds in our story that we need to really engage in for our own fulfillment and thriving. That we can realize that I bear an image of God no one else does. And I love the, I, I'm beginning to love, I really am, I'm beginning to love the way I get to make God present in the world. First time ever, I'm, not, I'm, I'm less and less embarrassment, and more and more I'm loving it. And all of you are a big part of that, so thank you very, very much. But in, in when we pray the rosary, where's Michelle? No, that was Michelle. Hi, Michelle, good to see you. Always good to see you. Who is it this morning telling me about? Claire. Well, hi, Claire. It was you too, but who was the other one? There was senses. Now, just give me a second to say my sentence out loud. <laughs> Who made fun of me for not having, having a rosary in my pocket today? Mariah. Mariah was it. Yeah. I'm talking about the rosary right now. So I love the blessed mother, Mariah. All right. I just want to let that be known. All right. She gives me a thumbs up. But Mariah was like, you don't carry a rosary in your pocket. I was like, why do I have to carry one? All right. So, so, All right, so anyways, but when you pray the mysteries of the rosary, right, there's joyful, luminous, sorrowful, and glorious. But you ever realize that those are all human realities that Jesus has entered into? It's because in your life you have joyful mysteries. You have luminous mysteries and sorrowful ones and glorious ones. He enters into these, and as we meditate on, he's trying to shine his light on our own mysteries so that we can see our mysteries unfolding in his. Or as Blessed, uh, what is Blessed Marmion said, Jesus' mysteries are now ours. And so another way to say it is Christ lives his mysteries again in you. Your story is where Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is manifesting himself again. And so on this sheet of quotes, if you brought it, great. If not, no big deal. Pope St. John Paul II loved to quote this from Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22. Christ fully reveals man to man himself. And another time, John Paul II said this, when you wonder about the mystery of yourself, look to Jesus who gives you the meaning of life. When you wonder what it means to be a mature person, look to Christ who is the fulfillment of humanity. And when you wonder about your role in the future of the world, look to Christ. And so when I say story work, I don't simply mean some sort of navel-gazing, self-analysis type of experience. What I mean is we're only going in with him. You only go in with him. It's so important because otherwise you're going to make judgments and you're going to pull out the weeds. You're going to pull out the wheat rather than the weeds. So you only go into your story, your experiences with the light of Jesus. 
And we have such great examples of people doing this. St. Augustine's Confessions. Right? What does St. Augustine do? He's literally, it's a prayer to God as he unfolds his life before God. He's doing story work. Right? Great stories of saints, their autobiographies. Right? The scriptures themselves is God's writing a story. Or how about just epic ones like Lord of the Rings, right? It's a great story, all right? And it's an epic proportion. But what it's doing is, why do we love these big stories? Because we desire to be a part of a big story. But it's not like you're not a part of one until you finally decide you want to be a part of one. You know, you've been a part of one for 23, 24, 25, 26 years. God's been writing a story with your life. And so often we don't realize it. And so before I go on to some of the the story work around sin, I want to name this, is that I find that most people don't pray with the joyful mysteries of their life enough. They don't really connect to the joy and beauty of their life to Jesus. And so we become a little masochistic. No pain, no gain becomes our definition of holiness. And, I mean, if God alone is the Holy One, there's no pain in heaven. Now, in a broken world, as that life enters into this world, there'll be resistance in times of sacrifice, no doubt. And there'll be moments of immense rejection and pain and suffering and unmet desires. But there are joyful mysteries. And there's times where you have been glorious. Where, like, Christ is just pouring out of you. You know it. Like, there's times when you give a talk in a classroom, you're like, eh, Lord have mercy. There's times when you walk out, you're like, I crushed that thing. Right? That's not prideful. It's not prideful to enjoy grace. It's not prideful to be like, man, I nailed it. I did a really good job. And then to thank God because the grace came from him. Imagine you are a loving father and you give your kid a baseball mitt and he catches um, the, the game-winning catch in the outfield. And he's hands up running. He's all excited. Would you be like, excuse me, I'm the one who gave you that glove. And I don't know that you should be so happy as if you did that. Without me giving you life and that glove, you would, you would have never have caught it. But that's how we act sometimes with God. Like he has some sort of fragile ego where he's like, were they ever going to thank me enough? And he's, got, he's so fine. God is fine. One of the greatest ways we thank someone is when you really delight in the gift he's given. You ever give a little kid a gift? They don't say thank you because they run into the other room to play with it immediately. You're not like, oh, excuse me, uh, I'll take, I'll, you can take a minute and write a note. That'd be nice. No, you'll, the exuberance of the kid's enjoyment is what glorifies the giver. Similarly, when you have glorious and joyful mysteries in your life, deeply savoring them and enjoying them, your heart will naturally break open and move to God. Servant of God, Dorothy Day, right? She's at a, she was a believer, then she's at a season of atheism. She has a kid out of wedlock. And she said, when she looked at her kid, there was nothing in this world that corresponded to the joy and gratitude she felt in her heart. And that's how she knew there must be a God. Just by enjoying the beauty and gifts of God, we are moved to him if we allow them to really touch us. But there also are sorrowful mysteries, right? Part of our stories, every one of us is sin. And as I said yesterday, patterns of sin in our lives, whether it's in our stories, if you have 
lust or drinking too much or drugs or party phases, or if it's just been maybe judgment and unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness. They reveal a broken heart more than they reveal a bad person. Those times in your life when you got cynical and haughty, arrogant or lustful or drinking or drugs or whatever it may be for you, they were much more of a time of places where you were feeling pain, not places where you felt, not places where you were bad. And see, when you have a broken heart, when you're in pain, you feel very small. When you're in pain, you feel very little and vulnerable. You feel exposed and hurt. And so we hide that part of us with self-loathing. This is bad because I feel vulnerable. And then we pretend. We pretend we're strong. We pretend we're super smart. We pretend we're funny. We pretend we're fine. We numb. I mentioned today at Breakfast Stories of Father Jacques Philippe. He describes in Interior Freedom the actual mechanism of pride. And it's probably the most glorious description you'll find. He says, this is what the mechanism of pride looks like in a soul. We feel a lack or we feel inadequate. So if you feel, especially when you feel pain. I feel weak, I feel exposed, I don't feel safe, I don't feel confident. So you feel these moments of insecurity, pain, vulnerability, littleness, whatever. We deem that as bad or unimpressive or unlovable. There's no way someone could possibly care about this part. This is awful. And we hide it through a mask. And we all have our favorite masks. And you would do well to spend time asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are my masks? It would be a really fruitful prayer for you. Because you'll know then that when they start getting activated, you're like, oh boy, (laughs) I'm hiding something. So you go to your favorite mask, and then you defend that mask at all costs when people are fighting with you. Right? So that's what you do, is you kind of defend it at all costs. He says, that's the mechanism of pride. Hide out of self-loathing, project a mask, and defend that mask. So that's the mechanism of pride. What heals pride is authentic humility. But see, so many of us suffer with self-loathing and self-rejection that we define humility as like destroying ourselves. But real humility is vulnerability. Put it this way, humility stepping into relationship is what we call vulnerability. So when you take that place of poverty, of littleness, of that place you think is unlovable that we're normally walling off, and you immediately turn to Jesus right there. Jesus, I feel so exposed. Jesus, I feel so dumb. I feel so weak. I feel so fill in the blank. When you go right there, when you step into religion, you short circuit the mechanism of pride and you are primed to discover all the beautiful titles of God. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. I love you, Lord, my stronghold, my refuge, my deliverer, my defender. Abba, You are a good dad who protects, provides, and loves my little boyness or little girlness. And that place in you begins to grow in strength. So in order to get there, in order to do these things, we really need to remember who Jesus is. 
Now, I've talked to enough of you to know that there's mixed feelings about Pope Francis, and you represent the, every parish and every church worldwide, okay? So there's no shame about this. But the Catholic approach is never, I don't like him, I don't listen to him. Right? Thomas Aquinas read atheists and Muslims and wrote the Summa from it. All right, so the approach, the proper approach is, all right, there's some things I don't like and some things he says are beautiful. The weeds and the wheat grow together. If we're going to be authentically human, if they grow together in my heart, they're going to grow together in the Pope's heart, they're going to grow together in the church, they're going to grow together in culture project, everywhere. This, I would propose, is one of the glorious wheats of Pope Francis. This is his quote. It's quote one if you have the quote list with you. Only one who has been caressed by tender mercy, truly knows the Lord. The privileged place of encounter is the caress of Jesus' mercy regarding my sin. The privileged place is Jesus Christ encountering my sin with mercy. The will to respond to change, which can give rise to a different life, comes thanks to this merciful embrace. And then this is what I think is so insightful. Christian morality is not a titanic, voluntary effort of one who decides to be coherent and who manages to do so. Christian morality is a response. It is the heartfelt response before the surprising, unforeseeable, even unfair, according to human criteria, mercy of the one who knows me knows my betrayals, and loves me just the same, appreciates me, embraces me, calls me anew, hopes in me, and has expectations of me. The the tender caress of Jesus is what Pope Francis also calls the revolution of tenderness that the church needs to bring into the world. And tenderness is like having reverence for someone's wounds. But we need to have them on our own first. See, it's because he steps close to us out of mercy that we're able to welcome him into the chapters of our life, the places that we wish weren't true about us. Remember I told you I have that group of priests that we share and we call? One of the questions we always answer on the phone is, what do I wish wasn't true about me right now? You know, I wish I wasn't angry at (laughs) so-and-so. I wish I wasn't so tired. Because places that we wish weren't so true about us, we spend a lot of time and energy hiding and running from rather than just letting Jesus love us there and stepping into relationship with the people he's given to us for sacred friendship. We are not zapped into healing. It's a whole lifelong journey of learning to let go of the mask or the fig leaf so that Jesus can show that what's behind it is beautiful and he is the truth. So here's the phrase. The degree that you are at odds with your story is the degree that you are at odds with God. So the degree that you are resisting, avoiding, pretending it didn't happen, Kicking away, editing your own story from the past is the degree that you are at odds with God. Because he was with you there. 
You might not have been with him. He was loving you there. You might not have been loving him. Or he was there during this immensely painful, awful thing that happened to you. And because of the pain, you didn't even want to hear it. And because of that, we keep him at arm's distance. A lot of this is like 30,000 foot talk. Let me zoom in a little bit. This is what I hear in most people's stories. Father, in high school and college, uh, you know, I got a little wild. I was hooking up with people. I was drinking too much, all these things. Uh, but then I got my act together, and, and now, there's the, now, now I'm really living my life well, living for Christ. So glad that grace was given to you. You're living for Jesus. That's authentic and real. But the same you who was doing those things is the same you following Jesus. You don't get to have like volume one on the bookshelf of like my bad days, and now I'm writing volume two. <laughs> There's only one book, one story, it's you. And like, don't we love those saints the most? Don't people love St. Augustine because he was so crazy and constantly searching and found what he was looking for? Don't we love, I think it's St. Mary of Egypt so much because she was sleeping with all these men on these cruise ships and then found the Lord and lived a life of penance and holiness afterwards? Like, they, it's the whole story that speaks to us because we realize, oh, I want to be known and loved in my whole story. I really enjoy feeling loved and admired while I'm teaching and preaching, but I really need to know I'm loved and admired like when I got nothing going on. That's when I need it the most. That's when I need that truth the most. So if you have, if you ever struggle with that, so if you're one of those people who has like a before and after in your story, great questions to integrate is what were you desiring in the quote unquote wild chapters? And don't say Jesus so quickly. Love, freedom, power, attention, intimacy, joy, friendships. What were you really seeking there? And yeah, you might have been seeking it in a disordered way. But once again, disordered desires reveal broken hearts, not bad people. And so once Jesus did come into your life, you found this is what I'm desiring. This is why it's the same story and same person. Because it's the same heart, even though it was getting all mixed up. Once we let Jesus and the Holy Spirit into these chapters, then we can see things the right way, and we're freed up to feel the power that we get to write the rest of our story with God. We get a say in writing the story. It's beautiful. So I want to tell a couple stories of people I've done uh, story work with to kind of help you see what was going on in their lives. And hopefully this shines on you. These are rather uh, intense examples. All right? And it's just the way the Lord has brought people into my life to help them with healing. But I hope the intensity of them helps shine light that maybe on your own life story might not be as intense. Okay? So, this one woman came to me and she wanted spiritual direction. And the basic story went like this. I lived some wild times, Father, for most of my 20s. Then I entered a religious community for a little bit, left, and now I'm getting married and uh, just kinda, I'm going a different direction, but I go to church on Sundays. And she was pretty open and honest about like, the ways she lived pretty wild lives. Right? She had done enough of her interior journey where she could mention the sexual abuse she suffered in college and how that set her up in different ways. As we began to do this, though, I, I just had the sense that there was a lot of like, yeah, I was so stupid. I don't know why I hooked up with that guy. 
Or, yeah, I just, I, I just was, like, rebellious. I just didn't care. I, was, I know, it just was, like, arrogant father, and I just would drink and then go out and do whatever. And, you know, what I was hearing in that time was a lot of contempt. Because the basic message was, I was bad and then I did bad things. And so over a course of years, just asking questions, nothing fancy, you know, saying, tell me more about that, you know, okay, and trying to get back to the foundational experiences, what we found out is when she was very young, she was abused. And in high school, that set up, and she kind of suffered that abuse in secrecy. High school, that set her up for promiscuity and rebelliousness. Her mom and dad would call her, why are you a bad girl? Why are you acting so poorly? She internalized these identities, gets to college, gets abused again in college, and realized people just don't care, so I'm not going to care. But realize, realizing behind that was actually... I want someone to care so badly, and I'm starving for love. So we go, and we're, I'm just saying, why don't you keep, take a couple of these memories and just ask Jesus, where were you when this was going on, and what were you doing? So she's on the mem- she's on the, she goes back to the memory, and I, I pray this isn't too triggering for some of you, but this is what happened for her. She'd just been abused by a man, and she's on the bathroom floor afterwards. And she remembered the, the visual very well. And she said, Jesus, where were you? What were you doing? She said she got a sense that he was there. She said just because she could see in her imagination that he was there. And he was so sad. She was tasting God's sadness for my sorrows. Turned him into the sorrowful mysteries. I was not. The lie was I was alone in all these places. And the truth was... The sorrowful heart of Jesus was with me. And see, now she can never, it's a healed memory now, because she can never remember that moment without Jesus, tasting Jesus' sadness and love for her. It happened, yes, it was awful. But a redeemed memory in a fallen world is not that it didn't happen. It's that the author of my story, that's a story of glory ultimately, was there with me in my sorrowful chapters at work. Loving me, healing me, speaking to me. Another woman came to me and she wanted to talk about she had had abortions about 20 years before this. And that's how her story began. Used to do abortions, or I had an abortion, I should say. And then I realized this is not the life I want to live. I got rid of all those friends, went to school, got, got educated, and I've been in a high-powered job ever since. Got married now and things are fine. I'm very active in my church. She told it kind of just like that. There's a before time, and now there's this time. And I was, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff yet. I didn't even start, so I'm like, okay, so you're just trying to follow the promptings of God. And and I I knew enough to know that, you know, abortion doesn't come out of nowhere. So I said, can you tell me about, like, years before that? This guy after guy, aggressive life, stuff like this. All right, we get back to around 11 or 12 years old being abused in the neighborhood. I'm ready to get, remember, these are intense examples to highlight that the identities and the behaviors of their lifestyle were generated by deep things in their story and their heart that they didn't want to face. As they shared and prayed, uh, this person began to recognize um, that I was hurt, felt alone, didn't know what to do with it, hid the pain 
through the mask of no one's going to hurt me anymore. I'll be the aggressive woman in the world, like fine drugs, all this stuff. And uh, now Jesus is starting to bring her back into her heart. And she's found so much freedom and healing. And recently she was doing some work on her story again. And she was at, in her memory, she's at the abortion clinic. And she's there with the Blessed Mother. And she said in her prayer, she said, yeah, Mary, you're going to have to get out. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> but I said, what was Mary like in there? She said, she was just so t- tender and attentive to me. See, she just was not ready to be loved in a time she just was just so bad. Morally evil. You're on an abortion clinic, no doubt about it. But if we're going to heal a person, right, if we're going to find healing in our own lives, we have to surrender contempt and false identities and lies for the kindness and mercy and tenderness of Jesus. That illuminates things that remain in the dark until we invite him there. One more story about a guy I know. He's just, he's overcoming a pornography addiction. For years, he was like, uh, I look at porn because I think women are hot. That's it. Like, sounds a little simple, but okay. (laughs) And, you know, high-powered guy. Very educated. Just just successful beyond belief. Like, anything he puts his mind to is great at. Brilliant. He's an artist. He's also really good at, uh, he was good at, uh, uh, like philosophy and things like that. Like just anything you read. Like that's what I was saying. It's good to be academic life. Anything you read. Well, as he begins to look more and more, he begins to uh, say, what's going on here? Like, why do I keep doing this? And he begins to ask questions like, it is like, I'm beginning to notice that it's, you know, after I go visit home, I'm most tempted. And you're like, okay, good. I'm like, Tell me about that. Why do you think? What is about your home dynamics? What is about family of origin stuff, right? Well, I don't know. And the biggest obstacle for this person was honoring his parents. He felt like to say that his family was broken and hurt was a form of betrayal. When the truth was, it actually was the most honest thing he could say about his parents. They were good. They tried their best. Barring some extreme examples, every one of your parents really tried their best. Their best might not have been the best, (laughs) but they did their best. They really did. So we can honor that, and we can also say, and guess what? You were very broken, Mom and Dad, and it hurt a lot. And that hurt, when you take that hurt seriously with kindness and Jesus' light, this guy began to realize, I always felt inadequate and not enough to my dad. I always felt like I had to take care of and be good to my mom. And so at a young age, he never got the blessings of your gift, your good. And he learned, dad's not there for attention and affirmation. Femininity is always there, my mom. And so whenever he feels stressed, overwhelmed, burnt out, exhausted, or he needs to feel like he's a gift, pornography was there, right, in his life at a young age to say, I can give you attention. I can make you feel affirmed. You can feel strong, have a purpose, all that again. So his freedom has come about not by learning over and over again why it's objectifying to women. That helped. That filled him with the initial compunction to say, this isn't good. But the healing came when he journeyed into his story and began to say, well, what's going on here? 
Where, what, are the, what, am I, what is my experience of femininity and masculinity? Where does my value and identity come from? And entering some of the sorrowful chapters, realizing I can go to God and Mary or the people he puts in my life for the love and encouragement and affirmation I need so I don't use people. I can receive the gift of people who want to bless me in that way. I don't need to use people. Christ lives his mysteries again in us, not right away, but over time. And he's wooing away your fig leaves. Fig leaves are trying to cover what we call bad. Don't call bad what God has already called very good. Namely, you. So what I want uh, to encourage you to do is that you don't want to force this. You don't want to say, okay, I'm going to go do story work now. <laughs> I'm just going to get in my story, get a big sheet of paper, ages zero to two. What do I remember? And you're like, dream like little, little crib things. Okay, cribs, great. Like, maybe I'm supposed to be in prison. I don't know. Okay, what's number ages three through five? And you're like, oh, little tykes. I was a childhood model. Probably, probably awesome. Lots of attention. Okay, great. Like, I was a childhood model, by the way. In case you <laughs> That's 100% true. Uh, very few people get to see those pictures. All right, so how do you do it? Well, it, it's to be, to realize you're, you're important enough to be interested in. One of my priest friends, he likes birds. Okay? He, he just like, he hears a bird, he got interested. So what do you do? He started studying birds. Now when him and I go for walks in the park, he's like, oh, that's a speckled something or another. That, that, that guy has wings and can fly. I don't know what he says. I zone him out because I don't care about birds. But he thinks birds were, were important enough or interesting enough to learn about. Your heart, your story, your life is a part of God's dream for the world. That's why you exist. Like an artist, he decided this world needed you in it. And so he's painting you into this world. And he's continuing to shape with different colors and contours so that the beauty that he wants alive in this world pouring out of you will be accomplished. But oftentimes you and me, we're the ones who don't care about ourselves. Right? We're the ones who are like, yeah, whatever, okay. So to become interested, why do I act that way? Why do I get upset about the things I get upset about to the degree that I get upset about them? So for example, I'm not saying this happened in Culture Project, but sometimes missionary teams, they'll find someone on their team annoying, okay? Let's just call it a group, I don't know, Focus. Okay, so I don't know. I've never done, in case anyone's listening to this, I've never worked with Focus. Okay, so, um, but let's just say, like, let's say you find someone on your team annoying. Now, some people are just sometimes annoying. No doubt about it. Okay? But sometimes there's a reason why this person is annoying. Or this person is hard for you. Or there's a reason this person's way of being. And you'll find, oh, you know what? That person pushes on emotional memories I had of Johnny in fifth grade who treated me, spoke, or acted the same way. Not you, Johnny. Uh, but like, and that's really what's happening is in fifth grade, I was a fifth grade boy. I never processed those emotions and experiences. All right. But they just stayed in me as a wound and as like a, that's bad <laughs> kind of judgment. And so anyone who acts that way, I'm like, that person's bad. 
And guess what? We feel insecure, so we cover it up with the mask that I am righteous and I am right. And I will defend it at all costs by finding everyone to agree with me about that judgment. When underneath it is really like, I never forgave, I don't know, Gavin on the basketball team in fifth grade. For freedom's sake, Christ set us free. And so when you begin to do your own story work, what you're able to do is offer the gift of another person space. You're allowed to be you wherever you are in your journey. And I'm entering into your lives yesterday and today at a certain point in your journey. And thanks be to God and prayers to God that he uses my time with you to help you continue walking your journey. So I want to end with this one story. I was out to dinner recently with someone and we were having goat cheese guacamole and margaritas. It was delicious. I know, right? I live, I live life like a rapper. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so we were, uh, we were out and uh, this person was telling me about some troubles they were having in their life. We're just good friends, right? So we're out to so just tell me and how they have shared with some of their other friends and they all responded Kind of ways that just didn't sit well with them. Like, nah, that's not right either. No, I know they were trying to help, but that's not right. And when this person started doing more reflection, what they realized was, and this was the most beautiful response. They said, you know what? I know them so well. I know that they're responding the way they are because of where they are in their journey. This person without any pride or arrogance said, I've been doing story work and healing work and prayer and taking prayer and spiritual direction and counseling seriously for 20 years. They've been doing it for about five years and I'm just further along in the journey of healing because I've been doing it longer. There's, it's a lifelong journey. There's no like, hey, look at me. I still got a whole mountain to climb. But it's like, and I know where they're at in their journey. And that's why they're seeing and hearing things from where they are. And that's okay because that's where they're at right now. It's not the fullness of Jesus. Right? who came to reveal who we are. But it's, it's on its way. It's on its way. And so I want to end with a little uh, parable, not of Jesus, all right? uh, but it's a parable, parable that certainly Christ can use. And then I'm going to give you some questions to reflect on as I get ready for Holy Hour. Okay? So this is called, um, what's it called? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Eagles and Turkeys. Story of the Eagles and the Turkeys. Okay. There's two baby eagles in a nest and they're waiting for the mom to come back and bring them food and they're up in the high of the tree and they were looking over the nest and they both fell out and they fell down to this little family of turkeys. And so the turkeys decided to raise up these eagles. Right? And so they taught the eagles to be turkeys. And the turkeys didn't know any, the eagles didn't know any better because this is just what they knew. And so they learned to only fly three feet above the ground they learned to gobble and all these things. One of the turkey, one of the eagles, uh, the sister, she was really good. She's like, this is great. They're so good to us. We fit in great. The boy, the boy eagle, he was really struggling. He couldn't really do a good job. He got angry a lot. And he was, um, he just couldn't fit in. He was flying too high. They were always pulling him down. He couldn't gobble. He just, he felt a lot of shame, a lot of anger. He was really frustrated. He couldn't fit in. He wasn't good enough. It just was really, and one day, the head turkey talk, took him off to the side. He's like, you're really struggling. He said, yeah. He's like, I want to tell you something. It's because you're not a turkey. 
He's like, I knew it. I knew it. And he's like, you're a buzzard. And you know how evil and gross those things are. So let's just get better at being a turkey so you can fit in. He's like, oh my gosh. All right, well, I guess I'll try it on. He's trying even harder now and still failing. Something inside him is like, this is not right. This is not right. One day he's walking in a field just depressed and lonely. It's like, not only do I stink at being a turkey, I'm now a buzzard. And he looks up and he sees an eagle fly. And something in him erupts up. He spreads his wings and he takes off. And he joins this eagle, making these huge circles in the sky. And he realizes, I'm not a turkey or a buzzard. I'm an eagle. And he goes back to get his sister. And his sister's like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm totally happy here. This is fine. So he has to go off and he goes off to be an eagle. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is the eagle soaring in the sky for all of us. He's revealing and calling to you who you are, particularly in the victory and glory of his resurrection. You are one of the glorious children of God. Step into your glory. Do not settle. You are not a turkey. And Jesus is speaking to you through circumstances and people and scriptures and friends constantly trying to animate your heart to wake up to realize who you are. And it's true that there's people in your life and there's been events in your life that have taught you you are in fact a turkey. There have been people and events in your life that have told you, listen, you're actually not a turkey, you're worse than that. So just be glad you're this and fit in. Be more like everyone immediately around you. Don't cause any problems. Don't have high hopes. Don't have big desires. Numb it out. Fit in. And so if over the next week or so that you're here, if you identify three things, I think you would be very, very grateful for this time with Jesus. First thing is this. Lord, reveal to me my masks. Mine have changed over my life. They've gotten way fancier. (laughs) Um, But I think in high school, my masks were more comedic and jokey. When I got older, they were trying to, because I was in the seminary, it was a different culture, so a different mask needed to be lovable quote-unquote lovable, because I'm not created lovable, right? you got to make yourself lovable. That's the lie. I think in the seminary, it was trying to be more of the theologian, philosopher. And then later on, I think it became something like wanted to try to be somehow the unaffected, cool, calm, detached one. Now, masks only work because some part of it is true. Some part of it is really you. It's just when we exaggerate it, that's when we get into the hiding components. So obviously, if I didn't know how to read or anything, I couldn't fake the theologian thing. So I loved theology. I was really into it, right? But my heart is a lot more goofy. I'm just kind of a goofy, kind of free, carefree guy. I love awkward moments, uh, right? Uh, what's the TV show where the guys play pranks on each other? Practical, uh, Impractical Jokers. One of my favorite shows. Yeah. My favorite shows of all time. I love how uncomfortable everyone gets. It's my favorite. So I just love these moments, right? That's, that's just very much me, right? But there's times where that doesn't feel like a holy priest. 
There's times that doesn't fit in if I'm around a bunch of academics. Um, things like, so it's like, huh. Uh, so it's like, all right, well, that's inadequate. It's not enough or it's not right. So I'll hide that. And all of a sudden, I'll just start quoting Aquinas or whatever for no apparent reason. All right, so be aware of what your masks are because when they flare up, you'll know, uh-oh, something's going on deep within. And I need, that, I need Jesus' help. Jesus, what is that? The second question you want to ask Who or what in my life is telling me I'm a turkey? Who or what in my life is telling me you're naive, you want too much out of life, you've got too big of dreams? Just be like everybody else, fit in. What events in your life, maybe it was parents, and not overtly mean, but maybe just their preoccupation and busy with other things, communicated to you. So it necessarily isn't their activity, but it's how your heart perceived it as a little kid. You aren't good. You aren't enough. You're the overly dramatic one. You know, you're, the, uh, you're too impassioned. You have too many desires. Grow up. Get with the times. So who and what in your life is telling you a turkey? And the third question is, is Jesus, what are you using in my life to remind me I'm an eagle? Maybe it's a favorite scene from a movie or a song. Maybe it's a time when you're in prayer and there's a certain scripture passage. Maybe it's a piece of art. Maybe it's out with friends or in nature. I know for me, oftentimes when I'm on a retreat, Bruce Springsteen's song, Badlands, will come to me. And it's the bridge where he says, for those who've got a notion, a notion deep inside, that it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. I'm going to find one face that ain't looking through me. I'm going to find my place and spit in the face of these badlands. That is like uh, just an anthem of my heart. Of I love showing people it's good to be alive. I want to find people that don't look through me but see me and I can see them. And I really want to spit in the face of all that's evil. I want to hate it and reject it. And so it really captures my heart. So it reminds me that that's, that resonates with me for a reason. Jesus is saying, pay attention. The Father wants to fulfill your desires. And so we're going to end in prayer, and then I'm going to expose the Blessed Sacrament here just a little bit. But I just want to thank you all very much for the time with you. Um, it was really, really great. I know none of you are the ones who invited me here, but you just had to just accept it. But uh, it was really great, all of you. I mean, Cleveland team knows I love them both last year and this year, but all of you just, uh, as a priest, it's just, it's an gr- immense gift to feel loved. And uh, I know you hear it sometimes, but I think you need to hear it again, that uh, the hope of the church is not numbers. It's individuals who are willing to let Jesus, like, bring out glory in them. And that's what all of you are doing. And, and that's what you're willing to do. And that's, that's, how, that's, our, that's our hope. The hope is not in numbers, ever. The hope is that men and women feel Jesus' promptings and they say yes to him the best they can and they continue to grow. And that's what you guys are doing. That's what changes culture. Remember last night I said you can't really change culture because it's like it's so big and nebulous. But what you can do is you can pour into your life the people that are God's giving you. That over time then does change culture. <laughs> right? And so uh, just thank you for your yes and your witness. And those of you who are discerned to move on from Culture Project, uh, I just hope you wish you the very, very best. Those of you who signed up for another year, I uh, hope it's great. And if you come to Cleveland, guard your heart. You're going to fall in love. All right, so. <laughs> With that said, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that even something already in our stories or in these young adults' lives, you're already touching. And maybe there's fear there, Lord.
Maybe there's a resistance and nervousness. I don't want to look at that. Or I've already packaged that up under the bad category. I'm so nervous. Father, please step closer to them. Show them your strength and also your deep affection for them. Send your Holy Spirit upon us that we may be aware of when you are speaking to our hearts, where you are revealing our identities and your path for fulfillment of our deepest desires. We pray tomorrow, we pray today for next week's new missionaries who will join, that we may be able to bring hearts to them, to bless their hearts, that we may be able to let go of any of the problems from this year so that freed up we may love them with Jesus' own tender love, strength, and joy. And wherever they are, we ask that you would continue to cultivate the soil in their heart, that the weeds may slowly die and the wheat may grow. Through the intercession of St. John Paul II, this year of St. Joseph, and particularly the Immaculate Heart of Mary, may the angels and saints envelop you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.